Welcome to the Back to Square Kwan podcast with your host Chong and Kedrick. This is a podcast where we will have conversations about training, nutrition, and philosophy, taking you back to square one. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy. All right, welcome to a, another episode of the Back to Square Kwan podcast. Today we have a very special guest. Um, some might say after this episode, he might actually just take over our podcast itself. Um, unlike our podcast where we upload sparingly, he actually does host a very reputable podcast of his own. Um, but today we're not going to be talking about podcasting. Um, the topic of choice today will be um, obesity and potentially also talk about whether it's if it's an actual choice or not. And I believe uh, Mr. James Walsham here, hopefully I didn't butcher his last name, no, has actually uh, written a dissertation about it. So before we go any further, uh, maybe just give our listeners a little bit of a background of uh, who you are, what you do, um, and we'll go from there. Hey guys, um, pleasure to be here. So and I'm actually an avid listener of your show. I think it's very good. You guys host, host, host some um, good conversations. Um, so I guess my background would be Originally, I studied podiatry, and then I felt that podiatry didn't have a preventative lens to help people deal with comorbidities like diabetes, obesity, etc. Um, and then I studied exercise science, uh, graduate diploma at AUT. Um, and then I just finished my honors where I investigated. I basically did a scoping review investigating how much um, evidence there is on which practitioners help people lose weight. So it was there's some really, really interesting results from that um, that were kind of shocking, to be honest. Um, but anyway, um, that would be my rough background. And then as well, as you, as you said, I did, I, I have hosted a podcast um, and that was, that's been quite a lot of fun. Um, and yeah, mainly nerding out about hypertrophy. And that was like the funnest, I guess. That's probably the best thing I did in my twenties um, up until now, because yeah, you can talk to people that you perceive to be famous and for free, <laughs> and it's pretty cool. Yeah, for sure. Well, um, I guess to open up today's conversation, as you've kind of alluded to, James, you've you've obviously written a dissertation about uh, you know, obesity and which health profession is able to help people lose weight in a nutshell um but to give i guess people a little bit of a more uh to give i guess the definition of what you class as an individual who's obese because i think there's a lot of terms out there like oh your bmi is above this you're yeah. obese but sometimes it doesn't really relate so uh yeah, yeah maybe start start with uh what defines obesity in an individual mm. so i guess i i i see a lot of people critiquing bmi nowadays um but so currently working, I'm working as a health coach in, in primary care and by far the best measure of obesity is BMI. Um, most there's, there's like, no one's coming into my practice or into my clinic with like so much muscle that BMI is thrown off. Um, but people are very quick nowadays to, um, refute BMI and say BMI is not useful. Um, but really like if someone's over 30 BMI, they can be classified as obese in the, for the most part. Like if you look at some really high, like if you look at the, 
105 kg powerlifters, they some of them might be classified as obese, but they're like the amount of muscle they have kind of changes the the picture for them from like a metabolic perspective. It's like they're they're able to just shuttle glucose way better than the average um, person with the same BMI. So it's yeah, and I I I I see why people get annoyed at BMI because I think like if you think of the health at every size movement, um, if someone's over thirty BMI, then they can be saying like, oh, they're classified as obese, therefore they're unhealthy. I don't agree with that. Um, I think just because someone's like you, I I think it's important to think of obesity like a risk factor rather than a, than a disease. It's like eating a a diet high in um, sugar for example um it's it's i would say it's more of a more of a risk factor rather than or like not exercising yeah i think that's a very good point you mentioned just now that people will often say that bmi is not useful right my question is then useful for what because at the end of the day useful would need we need a reference point for useful right so can you if I just said, oh, if I want something to tell me a rough sketch of a number really quickly, right, without uh, many, without any complex calculations, and someone that uh, even someone can do it at home just by going online, right, and the result would not differ from time to time because if you just go BMI calculator, uh, you do it, it's a stable, it's a stable calculation. The formula is not complex, yeah. you know, you can do it easily. Then BMI will be really useful, you know, but. Yeah it's useful for that it doesn't mean that it's useful for painting an accurate picture of the actual state a patient or a person would be in and yeah. i think that that is really important for people to understand we we as humans we tend to categorize things into categories and we say like oh cool right is it this or this is it useful or not right and it's very uh very binary but i think when it comes to dealing with people and you would definitely be able to vouch for that now uh, especially working with like you said, uh, as a health coach, right? Uh, people very, very, they vary so much from individual to individual. What may be yeah. useful for someone may not be useful for somebody else. And your role as a coach uh, is to identify what is useful for this person at this time, point of time. Because what may, what may be useful now for, for them may not be useful for them six months down the road, you know? So I yeah. do think that it's like really important to for you to to, to categorize that. And I, I like what you brought up about like obesity as well. Uh because obesity is a risk factor, right? And I recently spoke to a, a client, right, who's around uh early 60s, right? So this person is in his early 60s and he's really lean, right? Used to be really active, used to play uh ping pong uh six times a week, right? And during the lockdown, and obviously, uh, obviously playing ping pong six times a week, just without like proper like, I mean, without proper warm ups, you know, just like go in, nothing scheduled, doesn't resistance strain. Uh, the, the person like probably has some like overuse in the shoulder because ping pong is a very repetitive motion. Uh, so that, uh, in conjunction with the lockdown, uh, the the person didn't really like exercise as much, and the recent blood test showed that the blood sugar level right hp hplac and all, all that markers were like slightly high right yeah. and but this person like lead like yeah. for every 60 years old right this person is like lean so it doesn't mean that just because this person is uh 
not obese doesn't mean the health risk is not there because yeah. his his reading is slightly in the diabetic di- it's slightly it, it is slightly in the diabetic range right yeah so mm. if I, I would look at the bmi and i'll be like oh yeah this person is fine i would be doing my doing him and myself a disservice but on the flip yeah. side if someone is actually obese and i say oh your bmi doesn't mean anything i would also be doing yeah. the other person a disservice and just because the person let's just say the person he's actually uh who's obese let's just say he exercises right yeah a lot right but to for me to say just because you exercise and your bmi is high you don't have the obesity risk factor i would be doing that person a disservice so yeah i like to think of like measures like this even when we look at certain like measures you know in in sports science exercise science as like a satellite right so when we look at like we watch like spy spy movies where they try to like locate somebody by triangulating their location. They have like multiple satellite lock on to the to the person, right? The measure is like, but one satellite, and the more like satellites we can have, the more accurate the picture we can be, uh, the the picture we can paint. So yeah, I really like the point that you brought up uh, mm. just now on how let's just not criticize something so quickly uh, before we get into the nuance of things. And I think like, yeah, that unfortunately is quite lacking in uh, today's day and age. Yeah. And I find like, I definitely have seen that in practice where some of my really lean patients who is like, patients are sent to me by the general practitioner. So they're kind of screened for health already. Um, And then I ask them health, like questions about their health and stuff. And it's like some of the patients who are higher BMI are still healthy. And some of them who are lower BMI are really unhealthy. So it's like, there's always things that, don't really fit the trend, but I totally agree. It's like, we need to figure out what's the actual utility of the tool and not, I think where people get it wrong with BMI is they think if someone's a high BMI, therefore they're unhealthy. And it's like, that's not what anyone's trying to say who's using BMI appropriately. And I don't think that many people are misusing BMI except people who actually aren't health practitioners. And that's just like angry people on the internet. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think to frame it, you know, like, uh, we, we we usually say something like like using tools like like BMI and all that kind of stuff. Whatever tool that you use that is uh very like disseminated easily, you know, we, we like mm. you, people usually like satiris paribus, which is all things being equal. Someone that has a higher BMI will probably have a higher probability of certain risk factors compared to them. Mm. Yeah. person that have a lower BMI, all things being equal. That is the key word, right? But the fact is that for individuals, it's almost not all things being equal, but it just yeah. gives us an idea, right? It, it gives us something to start and investigate. That doesn't mean that the BMI is conclusive, mm. right? It allows us to investigate in a certain direction. If it's wrong, yeah, we just don't use the BMI for this person, you know? Doesn't mean it's a, it doesn't mean that this tool is completely broken and has to be completely tossed out. Yeah. Mm. And it's incredibly cheap. Like if you think about the other measures that we use in practice, it's like, for instance, if we go get blood tests for cholesterol, HbA1c, et cetera, it's like that stuff costs money and it costs the patient time. But BMI, it's like, how much do you weigh? Oh, cool. You don't know? Let's go get on the scale. That takes two seconds. And then instantly we have that kind of measurement. Um, But other things, pretty much everything else takes some form of time or money, whether that's money for the patient or money for the practice. Mm. So it's, BMI is pretty much the only one that's basically free and it's always in there and I can update it. Like if they say to me like, oh, I lost five kilos, then I can just go update it, boom, new BMI is automatically calculated. So it's like, yeah, lots of benefits I reckon of it. 
Yeah, and I think a lot of I think especially with sort of like the health space the these days, it's you know, there's a lot of criticism with um tools like like Kedrick, you describe it, you know, it's it's a tool, you know, it's a metric. Mm. Um and I think some people potentially just disregard it because it it you know in this in this day and age of cancel culture and uh keeping everything pc um you know telling someone that they are obese Mm. is uh not nice you know and i think that's potentially also where the whole uh bmi conversation and i guess in relation to either obesity or the the other end of the scale tends to get a very bad rep because people tend to think of it, the general population, not necessarily the health, uh, the health system, but the general yeah. population will view BMI as a, um, as a label. Yeah. Not so much. Yeah. I think the general population view BMI as a label, and not so much as how we health coaches or nutritionists, RDs, whatever, view it as a uh, as a metric to kind of say as an indicator. You know, like Kendrick yeah. said, like it's an indicator to say, hey, this is a direction that we probably have to take. Um, which leads me to my next question, which might tantalize you, <laughs> maybe, um, in regards to, I guess, with uh, patients or clients who, um, who, who, are, who show signs of obesity or maybe even diagnosed with obesity. And as most people will probably know, you're not born obese. <laughs> you know, very, very unlikely you are born as an obese baby. If you are, uh, you know, uh, I'm sorry to hear that, but very, very unlikely. Um, but obesity is one of those um, risk factors or that develops over time. You know, it's yeah. not something that happens within like a day or you don't just get obesity, just like, you know, you wake up like cancer, you know. Um, in your opinion, I guess, working with so many clients, uh, is obesity a choice? I think it's uh, I think the question has multiple components. Um, but so I guess I would definitely agree with the the, the idea that obesity uh, develops over a long period of time. That's definitely the case. Um, so we know people people basically gain weight progressively over time, really, really slowly. But then we know people can lose weight really quickly as well. So it's like, let's say you gain 20 kilos, you could lose that in a year, theoretically. Um, but it's like, what method are you getting to get rid of that? That's one part of the equation, right? Um, and so there's a few reasons that I would argue that obesity is not a choice, but getting work, like there is still a, there's always for everyone, there is a pathway in which you can manage into obesity by yourself as an individual through motivation and willpower like that's totally a pathway that you can take but i think that pathway is i wouldn't say it's like closed off like there's a like say if it's a literal path it's not like it's closed off like there's a concrete wall in front of you but maybe it's very very there's like a a hot barrier of steam or something like something really painful to walk through um and like you'll burn your hands off or something for, for I think a lot of people, for some people, it is a relatively smooth path. Um, but I think for most people, um, the reality of life in the 21st century is really, really, it's really, really difficult to prioritize weight loss um, when you're 
uh, I don't want to give too many examples, but it's like you hear these tragic um, things where like weight loss does become these guys' last priority. Um, and I would say, yeah, like, yes, the thing is people can, like you could learn to track calories, but how do you know that that's the right method? Because carbohydrates are bad, by the way, because I listened to that on the Joe Rogan experience and they told me carbohydrates are bad and oh, I, I should probably try a carnivore diet because Joe Rogan had a doctor on the podcast and he told me that's the right thing to eat. Um, so like, I think the, the nutrition education landscape is fucked for the general public. Um, but then if you actually take the food landscape as well, like that is messed up. We are exposed to like 500 food advertisements per day. And then it's like you go to the supermarket and you're trying to get like healthy foods. So you get your low carb bread and you get your, I don't know what you get. You, you basically get a lot of packaged foods and then you eat those for a little bit. And then you're like, oh, it's, it's Friday, Saturday. I've been eating really, really clean. Fuck it. I'm going to go out and, you know, get a tub of Ben and Jerry's and a takeaway. And then I'm going to have 3000 calories in, in one go. And then you're going to feel really guilty about that. So then you restrict some more. And, you know, this, this cycle kind of um, continues. So I think the fact that we live in a obesogenic environment uh, really makes it hard for it to be purely a choice. Like, I don't think it's a choice in the way where I would choose to lift weights or not to lift weights. I think it's less of a choice than that. Um, but I don't think it's purely not a choice. Um, but I think it's like, I reckon it's like, Five percent a choice, if that. Mm. Yep, I I think it's a a really good question. Uh, when it comes to dealing with people, uh, it's always going to be nuanced. And I know that even during this the length of this conversation, we might not be able to fully hash out every single aspect of it. But uh, you know, in recent years. Uh, People, I think that, like I said, it's always never a binary thing. I do think that you mentioned the barriers that are there for someone. Mm-hmm. And uh, we do know that people going through different life circumstances have different priorities, right? And, and as human beings, in general, we would first prioritize uh, survival, right? If you look at... Uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Obviously, survival, you need to survive before you can make any other form of choice because if you're dead, yeah. you know, you mm. probably don't have many choices uh, when you're dead. Uh, and the next thing you, you kind of have to consider would be how, I guess it's more like how pleasurable the experience you get. And I do think a large change often isn't as pleasurable for people. And you some people don't know that we, we you, you mentioned obesity or gaining weight, right? Happens across a long period of time. And the reason why, uh, at least to me, people don't really know, notice that their weight gains happening across an extended period of time. And then they just wake up one day and say, Oh my gosh, I'm 10 kilos heavier. It's just that it's unfortunate that with the weight gaining experience, uh, it's usually quite pleasurable, right? I, I can uh, vouch. I can vouch yeah. for that. <laughs> Hedonic eating, right, is pleasurable. I mean, it's a, th- <clears throat> it's a, a tautology because 
hedonic basically means pleasure, but eating a lot of food generally is pleasurable. And we tend to focus on that pleasure rather than what is actually happening. Whereas if you change and you start trying to lose weight, you are removing a pleasure that someone has acquired, right? So let's just say if someone has acquired, we use some arbitrary units, 150 uh, pleasure points, all right, uh, during their, their gaining, when they gain weight, right? And that's their state that they are in. To get them to lose weight, potentially, you may have to get them down to 100 pleasure points uh, due to uh, mm. limiting certain amount of foods, right? Especially when it comes to portion control, they would feel that 50 difference, 50 point, uh, 50 uh, point difference in, in terms of pleasure, they will feel it, right? And some people cannot afford or don't want to lose their pleasure because there are other things happening in life. That is why stress eating is a thing. You know, I feel stressful. I eat to derive pleasure from eating, right? And which, if stress eating is a thing, uh, would it? Do you think it's fair to say that people who undergo higher stress, right, would potentially have? I don't want to use the word choice, but it reduces uh their the option available for them to easily access. I use easily access in the very, I, I use the word easily access because I think that some people do have barriers, right? So people who, who are stressful have uh, less uh, easy access to options that can help them lose weight. Would, would, what, what do you think about that? I think also I would love to get into um like what some of the barriers actually look like. Um, but I think absolutely like higher stress is going to do that. Um, the people, because like, if I think about, I'm going to try and not use a specific case study, but more a like generic example. I've had multiple, let's say 40 to 60 year old women come into my, um, my room. And we often it's like they're or even 30 to 30 to 50 or probably more like typical mother range. Right. And a lot of the people, like many of them actually have, have at least one child who has a disability of some kind that makes the child take more, um, you know, whatever the things are, right. They've got all these things to manage and then they work as well. And a lot of them are like, yeah, I get up at five, um, four times a week, but then on weekends I sleep in. So it's like, there's, there's this baseline level of, um, like biological dysregulation. It's like their, their, their circadian rhythms flipping all the time. Um, and this is very, really common. Um, and I think things like that, and then, then you see these patterns, right. Where they, they will do things like it's 5am. They're not going to, you know, not, not hungry in the morning, whatever you don't want to have breakfast. And then 9am, maybe they have something, maybe they don't, maybe they eat at 12. Then maybe at 12, they have one piece of toast. And then they get home and then there's some snacks on the counter. They start snacking. And it's just these uncontrolled um, habits. And it's like they've had this massive morning, but then they've got other, uh, they, they get home and now it's like, cool, I've got to cook dinner. But the thing is we all have shit we need to do as, as humans. Um, I want to make sure I don't go on a tangent. What was the specific question? The question was, uh, how do you think stress levels affects uh, someone's options, I guess, right? Yeah. That are easily accessible to them. Mm. I think stress is a part of it. Um, 
but it's like i think stress is a side effect of the barriers like i think stress becomes like um for example i have a a client outside of my health coaching business outside of health coaching um i work with with hypertrophy hub um and he worked there was a period of so he works in the financial sector and he was working like a hundred hour weeks some weeks so we did some of our check-ins while he was on the bus home from work at like 9 p.m um and if he was in a situation so when i first started working with him he was like 20 kilos heavier um and he if he if someone else was working in his position like 20 10 years older who didn't have access to i think i'm a pretty good coach <laughs> um and it's like he's had the opportunity to find a coach who's evidence based knows their shit and like that opportunity to have that good education is the thing that saved him because i think if i didn't ever get to work with him he would be gaining and gaining and gaining and gaining um so it's like he was kind of on this trajectory of becoming less and less consistent lifting weights you know he was kind of in the bro um like bodybuilding mindset but then you slowly let those things go because you're working 100 hour weeks you know gym doesn't become that important like even for myself like when i was doing my thesis i didn't hit the gym five times a week i hit it once or twice a week if that and some weeks i just didn't go at all um and i think those kind of schedules are what like mess people up but then again i do think that partly this is down to lifestyle design like okay when you get home do you watch netflix or do you meditate read a book uh cook dinner try and exert some discipline and then i think like personally i do think that if you can design your lifestyle in a in a more ideal way um that will lead to a lower like and this is just like my this is total bro science of psychology but it's like if you can design your lifestyle in a way where the things that you need to do to be productive or um keep your lifestyle structured like for example prep your food for the next day or whatever it is it's like if you can make the barrier to those a little bit lower um or make it that's your habit um i think that has a lot of positive momentum and whether that's exerting uh self discipline um when you don't have to like at work you have to exert it the whole time the whole 9 to 5 you have to be pretty decent if you want to get promotions and you want to earn more money um but when you get home no one's asking you except maybe save your husband and your wife's like come on jerry mow the lawns like that's pretty much it um yeah does that kind of answer it, it was a bit tangential Yeah definitely I do think that I I like the point that you bring up that you said that certain barriers often cause stress I do think uh as well when uh people often feel stressed when they are unable to accomplish what they set out right it's not it's a stress from failing right they see things as like you know I have I work with people and people tell me oh I failed this week I feel horrible about my decision mm. and then that that yeah further uh increases barriers right at least uh, mm. emotionally in this instance because yeah. there will be there there you you will come to a point where people are accumulating so called quote unquote failures and then they'll be like man i don't think i'll ever be able to overcome this let's just give up altogether you know uh and i i i've i've seen that happen before all right and i know it happens uh and I do think that when it comes to talking about like you know like when people go to do Netflix as well uh, like watch Netflix you know if people look at for an avenue to like oh cool I'm just going to wind down right I'm just going to like 
uh, not think about work, you know. But the yeah. fact is that there are also other ways to do that. I'm not saying that people yeah. should watch Netflix, but there are other ways to uh, acquire the same effect, right? You mentioned like meditating or, or whatnot, but the fact is that people don't often try that option because they'd be like, oh yeah, I don't know how to meditate, right? Whereas like, I don't, as long as I can, as long as I can use a computer, I can watch Netflix. So mm-hmm. the barrier of entry to those behaviors, right, which potentially, uh, which yeah, which potentially uh might cause the situation to be worse. Like let's just say if you watch Netflix and you end up uh instead of watching an episode, like yeah, you watch something really interesting and you binge the whole season the whole night and you sleep at like four a.m. instead, right? Like yeah. those those things can result in uh worse outcomes. Those uh choices or like those activity they tend to be really really low uh they have a really low barrier of entry whereas mm-hmm. meditation would be like oh i have to sit down i have to like uh maybe feel weird about myself do i then you'll be thinking, <laughs> oh, do i have to like chant om for like 15 like five minutes you know and then i feel like it's weird what if i can't do it what if i can't do it well what so barriers of entry for those kind of activities are slightly higher mm-hmm. i think it will bring us to a really good tangent you know to talking about like Actual, actual barriers of entry, entry which you, uh, especially when it relates to food choices, I guess, yeah. uh, which you said that you want to address. So I think that this would be a, a good time to share some of your thoughts on what do you think are some barriers of entry. Uh, I think we can take it bit by bit. We can start food choices first. Uh, mm. Since we talked a little bit about lifestyle just now, I do think that, uh, and yeah, I do think lifestyle plays a role, but I also want to kind of like shift the conversation to f- to, to food because I do think that in the immediate sense uh, giving a rough idea for all our listeners to all our listeners out there on like food choices uh, and how that affects things would actually be I feel that it's an easier change to make right like you know it's easier to make a food choice for what I'm going to do for my next meal compared to compared to overhauling my entire lifestyle obviously yeah, there will be 100%. there will be intersection in the, the Venn diagram between lifestyle and food choices but yeah, yeah. Uh, I would say you, we can mm. st- start by addressing certain uh, life barriers when it comes to food choices mm. I'd say um, one, one point I would say is I think the lifestyle change comes after the food choices like I think that usually if I make one if they make one if I suggest a positive change or they suggest something and I'm like yep let's set that as a plan they make that one change that um, that thing then leads to like this positive momentum. That's what I usually see. Um, but when it comes to food choices, I think there's a few things to consider. It's like one, as I kind of touched on before with like my Joe Rogan hatred, um, <laughs> it's like the, that I think is a barrier to entry. Um, how, like, I think the nutrition landscape is, I'm try, going to try and not go too ham on this um, because I really get pissed off at this. Um, but it's like, I think the nutrition landscape for education for the general population is really poor. Um, one more point on this before I move on. It's like the, I also think within healthcare, for instance, if you take the average GP, the average podiatrist, the average physiotherapist, they have no idea about nutrition and the education that they get, um, is really garbage. Um, and like, that's a problem if the average, um, allied health professional is giving really poor nutrition advice. And I've, I've especially seen quite a bit of it over the last two months. and outside and inside of practice and it's 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 
yeah, it's shocking the the level of nutrition knowledge that the average practitioner has. Um, and any anyone who's not a nutritionist or a dietitian should not be talking about nutrition. Some personal trainers can like relay the guidelines, so that's within their scope of practice. Um, but the 99% of health professionals, especially a lot of doctors, um, to be honest, should not be giving much nutrition advice. They should refer out for that um, mm. because you get you get health professionals who only refer people, let's just say theoretically, who only refer people for a specific diet. For example, the vegan diet. They say, I will not, they will, they will send people to a specific uh, vegan website and they'll say, you can only, and not, like there's nothing wrong with being vegan, but they'll send people to that specific website and they'll say, this is what, this is how you fix your health. And then there's other, the other, the other side of like keto. And then there's like more balanced um, people as well. But anyway, um, so the yeah. nutrition education landscape sucks. And then to actually make good food choices is really hard because people literally think fruit is bad for you. Like I would say over 50% of my patients are unsure about whether or not they should eat fruit. Like that is shocking. Some of them are diabetics where there's actually an, like an argument to be made about um, being mindful with fruit. Um, but the majority of them are just normal people, non-diabetic, maybe pre-diabetic. Um, so then definitely they should be, there's a, there's like a conversation to be had around how to, how to consume fruit. Um, but yeah, most of them like don't know. And then this patient's coming to me saying they're reading the book, The Plant Paradox, which talks about basically why vegetables are bad. So it's like the landscape of nutrition education is garbage. So I don't think education can fix it. And I, I think then you take the fact that there's a, a massive amount of profit being made off the average food being sold in the supermarket, packaged food, whatever, fast food's another whole thing. But then the packaged food in the supermarket is a problem as well. And then there's no lobbying for that in basically any government across the like across the world. The lobbying lobbying's minimal, and the policy change is garbage or minimal. Um, but there is research being done to, like, you know, make changes here. But yeah, you can see how like annoying it is. Like, I I get so mad at this because mm. it's like the amount of changes that have to actually be made to make this um, better is gigantic um but it's like the end is not in sight but it's like on the horizon like a few mountains across you know yeah i think you brought up a really good point right and i think one of the big another sort of like bro science of psychology i'll steal that term from you um is that i think most people who are not educated in the field of nutrition general nutrition would always tend to lean on what their doctor would say because you know yeah. The doctor solves, you know, I'm sick. Who do I go to? You know, the doctor, right? And I think uh, a really good thing that I, I've observed is, um, and I've picked this up from one of my mentors, was doctors are not the problem, but no. doctors, you see a doctor to treat, most likely, you see a doctor to treat a pathological disease. You know, you've got a heart attack. You know, I'm a, I've, got, I've got a stroke. I've got a tumor. You know, you go to a doctor. But outside of that, like most GPs, again, general practitioners, doctors, um, like you said, wouldn't necessarily have even very, very basic, you know, nutrition guidelines. Oh, you're diabetic, stop eating fruit. And then all of a sudden the patient's like, oh, you know, fruit's bad. It's like, but, you know, that th th there's, a, there's a lot more to it, right? And I think 
in this day and age, at least, it does appear that um, a really good quote from somewhere was a uh, doctor should train to be more like nutritionist and then conversely well health coach nutritionist nutrition and conversely like nutritionists and uh rds whatever should also kind of look to train like doctors and i think like um potentially rather than uh viewing each other as doctors versus the health space it should really be what can the doctors learn from the health space and what can you know nutritionists and coaches learn from the doctors because um like kidrick you brought up a really good point right some of my clients were coming with high levels of hba1c the doctors will literally tell you like you're in range or you're out of range yeah right you're diabetic or you're pre-diabetic or you're not but then as uh for for context i guess i'm I'm going to be finishing my clinicals it's like 38 on hba1c doesn't mean you're diabetic but we're very close. <laughs> but a doctor's not going to sit there and say, we need to work on this. They're just going to say green tick or no tick. You know, like on your blood work, you see like a red mark or a no red mark, right? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where I think a lot of people tend to, um, you know, as, as the obesity uh, problem continues to arise because people will look at numbers like these and, you know, doctors say, hey, you're fine. But the trend is not suggesting you're fine. You do your annual checkups the trend suggests that you're getting worse and worse every year. The doctor should be able to pick that up, and I think, um, especially you being working in that in that in that sector, I think that's probably something you see very much on a daily. I think that um, that barrier of entry towards the individual or the general population actually understanding on what should I be looking out for to be healthy tends to be very muddled. Yeah, because don't know the, where to the, yeah, start. because the doctors is literally it's like it's black and white. You know, it's a yes or a no. You're sick or you're not sick. Hmm. But that's just like even know what yeah, they that's, that's a, yeah, and it's a snapshot in time. You know, like yeah. blood work is a snapshot in time. Hmm. The doctor won't kind of sit there like what we do, at least what and I do. Like my forty five minutes of yeah, and and just talk to them like, hey, like this is what happened in the last ten years. You know, like your blood yeah. work has been progressively been worse. Doesn't mean that you are, you know insert x disease hmm. but it suggests that the doctor will do that because you know like i said doctors don't, just don't have the time <laughs> no they don't have the time that they operate and i like it, the, the system does suck for doctors and yeah i really feel for doctors honestly like they get such a bad reputation but in reality it's like they are trying their damn hardest but you you literally see like the thing that i'm kind of seeing is like the younger ones really passionate and they'll work with me really well and they'll refer patients to me and make a really comprehensive, like multidisciplinary plan. But I find as the longer they've been there, like I haven't been there for that long, but if I just go by age, I think they seem to believe less and less in, in the potential for change, which I think is totally anecdotal. Um, but honestly, I think, yeah, the really new young doctors are like, wow, health coaching is so cool. That is amazing. We can make behavior change a part of practice. But then some of them, like, they're like, doesn't work. People can't change. And I think it's important to have that faith that people can change. Um, but some people don't want to change. And that is the, re- the reality of it. Um, but a lot of people, like 98% of people do want to change. They do want to make progress. But sometimes they just don't believe they can. Like, I saw this um, person who was quite young. Um, and... 
I asked, do you think you can lose weight? He said, no. And it's like, then a few sessions later, he realized that, okay, it is possible. But, you know, the fact that they literally think it's impossible. They literally don't believe it's possible because every time they've tried, it hasn't worked. It's like, Jesus, it's Mm -hmm. fucking, it's tough. Yeah, I think the, uh, like you also brought up, right, we're exposed to about 500 food advertisements a day and that doesn't really help because for context i've you know worked in the food industry to 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 a certain degree and it's like the goal of the food industry isn't necessary you know like we've got like health ratings right like this is a four star this is a two star and like in my personal opinion that's so stupid that's so bullshit like Mm. like one you're literally labeling a food and saying it's good or bad so why are you selling a two-star product like mm. to begin with? Like, why are you selling a product that you deem is unhealthy to the general population? Like, mm. wh- what's the what's the basis on that, right? Like, if anything, you know, the, the company should go and say, oh, mm. we have done all the testing, we've done all the research, and this is a one-star product, Doritos. Love Doritos, by the way. Um, and you should just remove Doritos off the shelf, but mm. that doesn't happen. Yeah. That, that, that doesn't happen because there's such a huge destroint between like, Oh, I, hate, I don't want to go down the tangent, but it's like they literally just want, yeah, corporations, like Big Pharma, whatever. <laughs> yeah, big it looks like cigarettes, you know, they're not going to stop selling cigarettes until they're exactly, you know, exactly. And everyone knows cigarettes are pro- cigarettes is bad. Yeah. Um, and and the, you know, and everyone's trying to put up these laws, you know, everyone's trying to fight for certain tax, mm. whatever it might be, but um, it's not going to be taken off the shelf because mm. there's such a huge destroy between uh, you know, just the general labeling. And the way they package it as well, it's so enticing, you know, bright colors. And, yeah. you know, you see like vegetables packaged in the spinach, it's just green. You're like, you know, like you would pick the rainbow over like a monochrome color. Let's be honest. Yeah. Unless you're going for like, you know, a nice minimalistic hipster, like vegan aesthetic or something. Like then, you know, you might go True. for the, the monochrome like <laughs> beige or something. <laughs> yeah. It, it's interesting. We, We've, we've, we've delved a little bit into how uh, products are, are created and uh, we talk about the industry as a whole as well, having a multidisciplinary approach, uh, all co- uh, integrated healthcare. You know, I do think that looking at how doctors uh, work, um, personally, I think that you know, if, when I look at it from a more meta perspective, right, uh, people back back in the back in antiquity uh people were limited by the lack of information right before the printing press was available right before people were was able to read uh they were like they only knew how to do one thing and knew what they were told right and then now it's quite op- opposite in the sense that we have abundance of information right but now the the problem is that poor choices are made because there's too much information. And I think that uh, if we were to evaluate both extremes and we look at outcomes uh, of like, oh yeah, people aren't making the right choices. One was a lack of information, one was, uh, and and now it's abundance of information. I think the common theme uh, we have is that the ability to question authority, right? Uh, I mean, not to go into like history, but uh, there was like, back in the days with uh, like the Catholic church and all of that and the reformation, you know, how, when, uh, how uh, Bibles were 
the, the only interpreted by specific group of people, right? Uh, and then they were just like told and then the masses just followed them, right? So they couldn't question authority because they didn't know uh, how to. But now you have like so many authority figures and you'd be like, oh, we're still following the authority, right? And it's authority now, unfortunately, uh, it's not, it's just based on how many people, like usually it's like how, <laughs> how much, many how, many, how, many, how followers. many followers you have, mm. right? Uh, like, if you can get Kevin Hart on a podcast, Ooh. yeah, or like, yeah, and <laughs> if you have, if you have a good, if you've got a tick on your Instagram, that's when you yeah, yeah. blue, blue check mark, right? Blue check on, mark. There we go. Yeah. So at the end of the day, I think that under the ability, right, to sort of like question certain orthodoxy authority becomes a very important mm. skill. I'm not mm. to I I would not. I'm not going to discredit someone uh, for their lack of authority, but I'm also not going to put uh, them on the pedestal just because they are an authority figure mm. in their field. Not to mention being an authority figure in one field doesn't automatically make you an authority figure in a separate field, right? Yeah. Uh, yep. And I think that that is something uh, very important for people to kind of understand. I do think that when people are taught at least the I don't know where this education thing. Uh, when I talk education, I'm not talking about like actual education regarding like food choices or whatever. But it's more like people are taught not to like critically think about things. You know, mm. <clears throat> like they always say that if you it, you should always seek out uh, a contrasting opinion, especially if it's too good to be true. You know, things mm. like this. Mm. Uh, I I do think like trying to seek out information like as such is going to be very important. But then again, you kind of go back to the point where people just don't have time to seek out those information. And uh, all the expertise to like, because yeah. Joe Rogan, like I was convinced by Gary Taubes five years ago. I was yeah. genuinely convinced. Like, yeah. And I think fresh out of high school, no education. I listened to the, the, the case against sugar and I'm fully like, shit, man. Yeah. The sugar industry, because it's like, you can believe it because the corporation, like, argument and then you have the sugar mm. oh my god you know the 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 thing is this right like we we talk about joe rogan a lot a lot of people like to poo poo on joe rogan mm-hmm. but i think if we look at the joe rogan's background right if people were, were to think about who joe rogan is it'll give you a better insight on how to process his information i one uh i first of all i would not disregard his ability to engage to create engaging conversations i mean the dude has people like yeah, yeah. sitting around for three hours uh, uh i don't doubt his intentions i don't think he's a malicious being i think that he genuinely wants to seek out truth and put out information out there yeah uh, whether right. the information is uh, contrary or whether it's right or wrong uh i definitely don't think he, sh- he should be censored on any platform no. uh, i'm a, like a big like like if there's like a couple of like quote-unquote political ideologies that I really hold fast to free speech is definitely one of them and the third the last but most important thing would be looking at this person's background right and I think this ties in really well into the conversation about uh, doctors when you look at this person's background Joe Rogan is a comedian and yeah. uh, uh, MMA, uh, UFC MMA commentator which means that but he gets he, he gets doctors on his podcast yeah but the thing is that he's going to be more authoritative to push back on things related to comedy and fighting, but right? Then I guess I would debate that because he he gets authority figures on the podcast, like oh who's the vaccine guy, whatever who the vaccine guy was, and yep. then that's why he got removed from whatever. Or there was a big 
political yep. storm, whatever. I'm um, like, I don't think he should be allowed, not allowed to post that. I think he should be allowed to post that. But I think like, oh, I don't know. There's there's some, it's murky as fuck for me. It's like, hey guys, don't get your vaccine. And like, I think his level that he went to was too far um, because it was, it was developing then. Now, I think it's a different conversation. Like if he had conversations about it now, like, like your blog post on it, I think was really well, it was well done because it was, it wasn't like we're three months in. Like for him, it was like three months in and then his nutrition stuff, it's like. Yeah. So like my, my question is this, right? So we, you are like, you are concerned about the actual information that is going to be out there. My, mm. my concern is not about the actual information. My concern is about how to process the information that's going to be out there. Because mm. even if Joe Rogan no longer exists, there's someone that will take his place. You know, they always say that, yeah. oh, you know, is killing this di- dictator going to do any good, you know, in movies? Because another <laughs> dictator will just <laughs> There's always going to be another you know? one. So yeah. things like that. And I think the key here is that if Joe Rogan speaks about vaccines, uh, nutrition, I would give him lower credence on what he says mm. because one, because of his uh, lack of expertise in certain, and, mm. and this is not just to Joe Rogan, uh, it's to anybody, my lack of expertise in that mm. area prevents me from actually knowing how to pick out who the best person is by without buying into the hype, right? Yeah. That's, that's one, yeah. right? That's why, oh, you got like Robert Malone and Peter McCullough, those, those two, yeah. and you don't get like current people who are actually doing some form of like research right whether they are they hold one position or not but people who are actually doing some form of research usually have a more nuanced opinion right that's mm-hmm. an example i can't pick out my guests as well because i don't know how to critically evaluate my guests second mm-hmm. is that i cannot push back enough because i don't have enough information for example if i go if right now i say like oh i'm an art, art i'm a pseudo art expert and i tell you how uh uh picasso is actually a uh, real like the worst artist in the world and I give you all this like <laughs> oh. I give you all these facts you probably would not be able to push that because you literally have no uh, mm. clue how to it's like going to a, a mechanic and you just got to trust the, me- the mechanic's not going to scam your money mm. because you literally don't know anything about engines right yeah that's, exactly that, that's the second thing and uh, he can't push back and the third one is that yeah you know if he speaks about MMA and he speaks about how to be a good speaker and comedian man these things are like I can trust it like mm. 90% of the time because these are the things that he's known mm. for he has he has done a career of so I but most people don't evaluate it from this perspective you know mm. uh, they evaluate uh, they evaluate the person from a position of power yeah not so much from a position of how did you rise to power I guess yeah. and Would you, yeah the thing is this it goes back to the point about like I, I say I don't want to like harp on like too much uh content like current issues and like Joe Rogan but it goes back to the point of being a doctor right mm. what is a doctor's training right it's not nutrition. Mm. I've actually uh, spoken in a like um, when I was uh, doing my masters in the UK and I was writing up my my thesis. I had a lot of free time and my I actually s- submitted a presentation to speak at uh, a student doctor conference, right? So it's a bunch of like medical students, right? Like third to final year students. I mean, some of them even like uh, like new 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 med students, right? And I submitted like a paper and it's there, there was a contest, right? Competition where doctors could submit their papers. Uh, and if they get selected, they get to present, right? Uh, I, I, I'm not a doctor. Uh, uh, yeah. 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 And I'm not a medical doctor, right? But I just felt like I, I, I think I could contribute because my background is in nutrition. So I wrote a paper call uh, and I, I played with alliteration and like sounds, fat, <laughs> 
like fat FAT, fat, like being fat and fat, like fat diets. So played with a little, <laughs> and I basically talk about like high fat diets, right? Like what you should, where they should buy into like the, the sugar, like controversy, you know, things which doctors typically would believe. When I when I spoke, I was like really afraid because like there was this speaker that like was really good. I half the half the talks I didn't understand, and unfo- I was scheduled to like go first, and I I thought it was good because uh, after that if there wasn't anything interesting I could leave. But then the speaker that was supposed to go first uh, couldn't make it, so I was scheduled to go last. I was like, oh man, this is so tough because the people will be like really tired after listening to the talks for the whole day, and now I have to sit here listening to things that I don't really understand, you know. Hmm. But I found this speaker really compelling so i literally had no idea what he was talking about basically they were talking about like increasing like gut volume in the stomach to help people stay full by putting like an artificial balloon in their body right in, inside wow. the stomach uh like for really obese people or uh, people who really don't have any like control like that's like a like a, a really easy way because it literally is just a procedure that you put in and they just like artificially stay full so his mm. presentation was before mine i literally had no clue i couldn't rebut anything but he was a really good presenter and I was scheduled to present after him. I was like, man, this is like huge shoes to fill, right? And I'm not even a doctor, right? And then when I spoke about it, I was like, to my surprise, like people enjoyed the talk because they're like, the only, the people came up to me and say, oh yeah, I really enjoy your presentation, uh, whatnot. But the most important thing that I, uh, and the reason why I bring up the story is they said that, you know, when it comes to nutrition, I only took like an intro level course like in my first year and now, mm. and doctors spend like five, six years in med school at least. Mm. Man, I would like, say they give 70% of people some form of nutrition advice. Yeah. And like, I can't remember what I did four years ago, right? Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. And- I don't know anything about podiatry. I did that shit like two and a half years ago. And I yeah. don't know how to do like nail surgery anymore. It, I have no idea. Right? Like, uh, so from, from, for people like me, I'll be like, they have very minimal qualification, but they are s- seen to be authoritative in certain aspect, obviously because it's more like tangentially related doctors and like nutrition rather than like MMA and like vaccines, right? So obviously, but <laughs> people still go there because they don't know what this person is authoritative in. And I think that yeah. that's a really important uh, uh, way to help people critically evaluate information. I do think that by helping people critically evaluate information, uh, you know, it, it's better, and we can also cut, like say that we can promote the marketplace of ideas better. Cause, like I say, I'm quite a big like free speech uh advocate, and I I do think that uh yeah I I I do think that helping people evaluate things from both perspectives critically would be would be really important. And because and drawing back to the conversation about like food choices and and whatnot, right? Like even when it comes to corporations. People still think that uh, sugar-free, uh, yeah, sugar-free still... stuff is bad, right? Yeah. And the fact of the matter is, I don't know what it costs Coca-Cola or like Pepsi to actually uh, produce X amount of sugar-free versus X amount of sugar version. I, I yeah. don't know which one, which one's more expensive, uh, but you know, in the stores they usually go for the same price most of the yeah. time. Uh, but the fact is that you know, like if like corporations like this now, I think we will go into like regulation in, like the food industry this conversation would go towards that direction now. It's like, cool, how can I just tell people that I'm Coca-Cola, right? I'm going to, I want to boost my sale, right? There would be the element people that would vehemently tell you that, no, the sugar version tastes better, right? I'm like, mate, nah, you know, you know, if I blind taste test you, 
No, nah, I reckon people can tell the difference. But <laughs> so one simple no. swap, one simple swap. That's like I reckon that shit is fucking magic. Yeah. Like, so no. So I think they can tell the difference because they've been having it for so long, so they can tell yeah. the difference. But the very subtle say, difference. Yeah. Mm. So, but to say that it's actually like so different to the point where it tastes like horrible and you won't drink it, it's more like yeah, like I it's think like, there, there can be um. This is pretty tangential, but there is like someone I, I know. I won't say who had a literal addiction to Coca Cola where they could only have Coca Cola in a plastic bottle form. If they had a can, they'd be like fuck. And like if they had artificial, co- they would know, and they'd be like. But anyway, it's tangential. What were you- <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I, but, but like in, in in on the general basis, right? Like Coca Cola can just say, "Yeah, cool." You know, like. Uh, we can still drive out profits, right? Our mm. profits by selling our sugar-free version, right? And we can actually just tell people, yeah, you know, sugar-free the the sugar-free version will probably be better for you if you need to lose weight. Right, so like this comes into like the whole regulation thing, right? Mm. And people can can do that, right? Because right now, the, I do think that the authority, people who are in authority position, they have more so quote unquote power to govern or like change people's uh choices. They nudge them towards a certain direction. No, I think all of this, all of things, all this, all of this nudges. So like you hear people in the street tell you uh or you shouldn't take the vaccine, then you hear more people think about it, and then you, you hear Joe Rogan, who has like 500, like 5 million listeners, right? Then you're, then you're like really like convinced, you know? Uh, but at the end of the day, like if the corporations can like create some form, I mean, I I, I don't know much about like food regulation and like re- uh like regulatory powers and all of that, but like, you know, have like say, cool, it doesn't really matter, right? Whether you buy one or the other, uh, I still think it should be I, th- I I do think it should be a choice, but like yeah, if you're trying to lose weight, probably have the sugar-free version, you know. Yeah, like this, I think probably we push can go towards it. the right direction, right? Yeah, I had a really good conversation with Alan Flanagan from Sigma Nutrition, like a year or something ago. I don't know, back when I was going hard on the podcasts um, before my break, and that he explained some really good stuff around, like for example, like one of the examples was let's say we have a drinks, um, a drink layout, we have let's say normally you have the mo- the brands that pay for the best spots. Um, so then it's, oh uh, yeah, I, I remember that so. during my, my years of study now. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, if you put water in the most reachable spots or artificial sweetened drinks or whatever, the healthier drinks, that's going to make a difference in terms of sales. Um, and it's like, oh, I was watching this video by Stefan DNA yesterday about how the percentage of spending that's been on fast food compared to, like home cooked meals is about 20% compared to like 2% in the 60s. So it's mm. like, and now it's probably like 30 or 40%. But then you then you consider that the that is not including packaged food from the supermarket. So it's like, yeah. Paleo yeah. diet boys. Yeah. And I think you you brought up uh when when Kedrick was sort of like going through that tangent, it actually brought up a so not necessarily a realization, but like sort of actually sort of uh, made it a little bit more clear in my head as well, especially, you know, over the last few years, everyone's like health concern and shit like that. You know, mm. if, if now we actually walk into any supermarket, really, you actually start to see, um, I'm, I'm guilty. I, I do this, but, you know, regardless of what my personal choices are, um, you'll see a lot of like high protein stuff now, right? And it's yeah. not just like a protein powder, like, like mm. whey protein. It's like, 
high protein breakfast cereal, high protein cookie, fucking high protein cornflakes. And it's like the industry is literally trying to say, hey, we want to be healthier, but Mm. we still want you to buy a product. So we're just going to kind of pitch. I think it comes down to like the marketing again. Like we're just going to pitch this product, which is, which will get us on that four star scale or, you know, mm. depending on where you live in the world, depending what skill, skill rating you guys use in New Zealand, we've got um, one star to five star, five star, really good. One star, don't buy it. It's still on the shelf. Mm. Um, but you also, interestingly as well, you'll see that all these five star products, if you actually go in and observe, they're actually not in, like you said, James, they're not in places which are easily reachable. Mm. So these five-star products, if you go into the cereal aisle, I challenge all of it, all of, if you're listening to this, go into the cereal aisle and look at the cereals. You'll see that all the two-star cereals in the middle, you'll, mm. see the, you'll see the healthier cereals on like the maybe the second shelf above, and you'll see the five-star cereals, which are like the high-protein stuff, or like the whole grain, low sugar, like you see them all above. And it's just like a testament to like, hey, this product exists. We want people to get healthier, but we're just mm. going to keep selling uh what sells the best and uh you know like kendrick said don't know about the profit margins and stuff mm. like that but uh yeah it was just a very interesting observation and no, i think i agree yeah and i think you know one thing that i'll probably add in there as well is you know i'm not again like i don't necessarily have a political agenda or whatever but i think the big thing that food industries and the food regulatory board and I, i've i've done the whole bloody thing during uni in a few few years when i was at work i think the agenda has to definitely be more geared towards not just to produce uh product or packaged foods for the sake of uh taste but i think it the, the there has to be a lot tighter regulation on how you put the product in a supermarket because um, mm. i I'm, I'm sure all three of us here would know uh this general advice if you want to eat healthy, shop on the outside aisle. Don't go into the middle. That mm. like all supermarkets are laid out that way. Big, small, it doesn't matter. It's laid out that way. And I think the regulations of how supermarkets should be putting their foods should actually be revisited. Because that rule has been there. That's really interesting. I actually oh, I haven't heard that rule. But that's, oh, there, there you go. Yeah. I, so, I used to work in a supermarket and all the food that would keep you moderately healthy is on the outside. Yeah. Which is actually super interesting, except the ice cream. Yeah. So um, you'll see like what all ice cream the... keeps you healthy. It's carbs and dairy, mate. But yeah, it's mm. interesting, right? Like you see, like you walk in, it's like the it's generally on the outside aisles, all the veggies and the protein stuff. But as you get mm. closer to the middle aisles. Um, which most people actually divulge into, that's where we kind of see like the the highly ultra processed mm. look that at stuff's the stuff's pa- been there for weeks. Yeah, that like, yeah, that stuff's been there for weeks, you know. And mm. this is just personal anecdotal guess. My guess is because like the layout of the supermarket is designed to make sure that the workers don't do a lot of work. Like you said, the, the stuff in the middle has been there for weeks. Yeah. So I the used fr- to work. The fresh produce has to be rotated. So it's like, mm. oh, it's just easier because it's closer to the fridge. Mm. You know, it's like, oh, it's easier. Whereas mm. in the middle, it's like, oh, it's so far it's, away. It's designed for efficiency, 100%. I used exactly, to work at a supermarket exactly. as an online, like, I would be the online delivery boy. And yeah. it's designed for efficiency. And yeah. I, like that, I just realized how actually that structure of the outside and the inside, that's the stuff that needs to get restocked all the time. Everything yeah. in the middle gets restocked like once a week. Exactly my point. And, and that's kind of one of those things where it's like most people, like general public, again, like we're talking about gen pop here. 
won't necessarily think of it that way. Mm. But I think if the food industry is able to actually, let's just use the word, drop their ego Mm. and and actually really focus on making people healthy and not, again, potentially having the Mm. agenda of trying to just make more profits, Mm. I think it can really, really help to change direction and the trajectory of um, overall health in general in the long run, in the long run. I do think it's going to be like an almost impossible task. And like, I'm all for capitalism. I love capitalism. But I genuinely <laughs> think under the current current system of capitalism that we have kind of in the West, it's going to be genuinely impossible to solve diabetes. I mean, not diabetes. Yeah, but diabetes and obesity. I think it'll be literally impossible um, unless we have medicine that can decrease uh, calorie absorption by like 30 or 40%. Like for real, I, I literally think it's genuinely impossible. I think the machine that drives um, profit and the, I think the the capitalist machine is the thing causing obesity, whether mm. we like it or not. Like, I love capitalism. Capitalism is the shit. And, like, it, it, I, I believe capitalism brings people out of poverty faster than any other system in the world. Like, all the Steven Pinker shit. But it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. it causes obesity at the end of the day. Um, <laughs> and there's not much we can do about that, to be honest. Like, we can try and make all these different laws and regulations, but there's going to be a 40, 50, 60 year process, not a... 10 year oh we make some changes like I, I think it's like like the supermarket stuff is is really useful but it's such a small change in the in the in the scale scheme of, things. of things because people can't afford vegetables like and people can't afford to make the time they can't afford to learn about the stuff they can't afford to go to the doctor they kind of they definitely can't afford to go to a dietitian and if the dietitian is the like the argument i made in my thesis is like the only person who's really qualified to work with people on, on, on weight loss is a dietitian. Like if they have a few, they have diabetes, they have um, high cholesterol. The only person who's really qualified to work with them to help them lose weight is a dietitian. It is impossible to get a diet, dietitian appointment through, pub, through the public health system. Near impossible. Like it's going to take a long ass time, um, no matter what situation you're in. So if you go privately, boom, 160 bucks or whatever, like, you can't see dietitians very easily or very cheaply. People can't afford that shit. Um, yeah, I I think it's funny you brought up like uh, all of this, and I think that the industry is very profit driven. It's and you talk about capitalism and 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 things like this. It and I think uh, people do ask me what my thoughts are on this kind of stuff uh, sometimes, and I just think that you know Adam Smith who wrote uh, the Wealth of Nation, um, who's mm. like oh yeah, people say oh he's the father of capitalism, right? Uh, and the hero- <clears throat> what Adam Smith had. And vision in uh, 1776 did not take into account uh, advertising, social media, yeah. and all of that. <laughs> yeah, right? no, and no. People also don't know that Adam Smith wrote the theory of moral sentiments in 1759. Mm. Uh, I don't know whether it's uh, uh, coincidental, but perhaps, uh, yeah, most people in like the, the Enlightenment period do think that morality played a big role. So perhaps you say, oh, maybe you should read about how to be a moral human being first before trying to sell shit to people. Whereas now capitalism is like... Make uh, money first. Yeah, first amoral, right? First first thing thing world, make a bunch of money. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck morals. Yeah. I have no responsibility at all, right? And I... The, the, the thing is... The thing is like... The, uh, I, I do think that corporations, even people, right? Everybody have like some form of like social, social responsibility to, to one another. And it... it I definitely think like, for example, 
uh, there are ways people can do things, right? Like, uh, I mean, I, I don't work in any of this like corporations, but this happened to me uh, like just two days ago. And what happened was that I wanted to get uh, sugar-free uh, soda, right? Sugar-free Coke. When, I mean, let's say soda because I don't care whether it's Coke or Pepsi. I just buy whatever's on, on, on sale. So I went there. I saw oh, vanilla Coke, right? Uh, I went... And I bought two bottles of vanilla coke and then I walked out and I'm like, when I put the vanilla coke in my car, I realized that I bought the sugar-free, the sugared version. And the reason why is because oh. if you look at coke, the vanilla coke look very similar to the no sugar version. The colors are the same. The only difference is that they Little have a, band the, of, yeah, a black band. line, right? And then the cap is different. The cap is black, whereas the original coke is red. Uh. But if you look at Pepsi, the color is completely different. The whole label is black. Right, whereas the regular Pepsi is blue, so it's easier for people to create a distinction. Right, I'm not a, I'm not a lobbyist for the Pepsi Corporation, but I'm just saying that if people can make like <laughs> subtle differences like this, mm. uh, but I'm the kind of like, yeah, I'm never gonna drink like sugar version. So I literally just went back in and like swap it out because I haven't left, I haven't left the groceries. I just say that, hey, I'm sorry, and you know, I literally just walked out of this place five minutes ago. Can I just change it? But some people be like, nah, you know, I'm a little bit too shy. I don't care. You just let's, let's just do it now, mm. right? But the thing is that I would also fully admit on that day, I, I had like not the best sleep the last night. And I was like, maybe uh, my coffee hasn't really kicked in. But the fact mm. is that when most people do their shopping, they're not in a mm. 100% uh, mentally, yeah, yeah, mm. cognitive competent state, right? People are like, oh, after mm. work, I just have to buy some food, right? And then they be like, I'm just like walking around, habitually just picking up the stuff that I want. So, yeah. you, you know, you mentioned really good points. I do, I do think that uh, that there's a way to regulate it well. I, I also, I, I don't really, uh, my personal belief is that I don't think that there should be like forced regulation, right? Like uh, th- yeah, there I should be a fine balance. Agree with that for like you know? a freedom kind of point of view, but yeah, I can see the argument from a pure, but then the thing is health is not just physical health. So, yep. But, so uh, it, it, it is a, uh, encompassing multiple areas and i think we, we we've gone on many many tangents and this conversation is like really interesting and but you know to keep it like accessible we will uh have to like cap it somewhere and yeah. <laughs> based on, on your kind of opinion right just to close things up uh and we, we usually ask our guests all of this when if you know someone who if you are obese right or if you know someone who is obese that you that you want to help, right? Taking it back to square one, right? What is the first few things you, you should consider, whether it's for yourself or for that person? Yeah. Mm. I would say, let's say you have a friend who's obese. So I'm helping a friend at the moment. Um, and I he knows that I'm like, a in, in terms of my friend group, I'm definitely an, an authority, right? But then in terms of the wider scale things, I'm just a dude with like some degrees, not that like expert, you know, whatever. Um, but like, I, so I, what I do with him is I get him to check in and tell me what thing he wants to change this week. But that took a year for me to get to the point where he's willing to say every week, send me one message being like, what, what do you want to work on this week? Last week, we worked on swapping Coke for artificially sweetened Coke. That's the thing we changed. Um, and then, but it's like, I'm coming from the position of someone who I wouldn't recommend trying to help someone change um, if you don't have the expertise. I'm lucky to have the expertise, so I think I can help someone make this, those small changes. Um, 
But if you say if you don't have the expertise, I would recommend trying to get them to a health practitioner that you trust. Probably not their GP, um, probably not their personal trainer. It's probably going to be someone like a health coach or a dietitian. Um, but the thing is, like health coaches are hard to get to as well. So, but I would try and try and educate yourself and and work with them to change the environment around you. For instance, is there chocolate in the pantry? Get rid of the chocolate in the pantry. It's okay to have chocolate, but like you don't want these kinds of things in the house if you're struggling with eating too many calories. Do you want to go to a gym? Cool. Can you join a gym together and go to a gym? Um, but let's say you're helping a friend from the perspective of um, someone who thinks they have more expertise. It's definitely about it's it's about support more than adherence, but adherence is important. Um, and it's about like someone someone comes into like for example, someone came in last week and they they're like, man, I didn't achieve our goal. Like our goal was to cook four healthy meals, whatever that looked like, right? And they would describe the meals to me, and we'd sort of talk it out. Um, and they only cooked three. But they joined a gym and started exercising. But they felt like they'd failed. Um, but to me, they they 100% had won. So I kind of reiterated like, wow, I'm so proud of you. And it's like those kind of statements, I'm proud of you. Um, good, I, That's amazing. I can't believe you did that. Wow, you're being so proactive. You know, that kind of stuff gets people to change because they're like, fuck, I am the man. You know, like that, that stuff gives people positive momentum. Um, like... If I think of my relationship with my one of my best friends or my flatmate, um, he he was trying to lose weight for a long time, and I was like, "Oh man, you got to join a gym! Come on, man, join a gym!" Um, all this shit. But it's like the thing that helped him change was he would. I just would be. I'm like, there is a. It's like I'm not moving towards him to change his goals. I'm static, but I'm a static, like loving, supportive person in his life. And then he can ask a question at me and say, hey, like, are carbohydrates bad? Or like, does fruit, like, what does fruit do? Um, or like, oh, fuck. I like liquid calories bad for you or whatever. Like, whatever the thing is. Or like, does tempo matter when lifting? Whatever the question is. And it's like just being consistently there and consistently supportive. Um, but then also I think if it's a friendship, being vulnerable with someone and saying, yeah, man, I've really been struggling. Um you know, I've been trying to gain weight, but I'm just, I don't want to push that hard in terms of food. So I'm not gaining that fast. And yeah, it's been really hard. And then they can kind of respond and say, yeah, like me too, bro. Like I would really like to try and lose some weight, but it's really hard and I don't know what works, you know? And then that vulnerability leads to change because you can then support them. At the end mm. of the day, I think it really is about the way to get someone to change is support, love, and positive reinforcement um especially in people who are not like fitness nerds like us like if they're not a fitness nerd or gym bro like then you need to approach it differently like with my mom it's like i yeah i let her ask me questions but if every time i've told her to do shit she's like no nah, not doing it it's like when she once you tell someone we have this idea in, in health coaching ask tell ask where you ask about their life and their history, then you tell them after you ask permission to tell them. So I will say something like, oh, is it okay if I like walk you through your, your, your diabetic results? Can I, can I explain what HbA1c is? So, and then I ask again, does that make sense? Is there anything else that, that you're kind of confused about with that? And am I explaining this well? And then they qualify and say, yep, that, that works or that didn't work or whatever. So that you're asking permission 
so you can tell them um, rather than usually people go tell. Are you getting it? Are you going to make change? They ask then, and then they, then you tell them again. Make sure you do it. If you don't do it, you suck and you're lazy. You know, it's like that does not fucking work. No one cares. No one wants to do that. That's not good coaching. It's just egotism. Um, and I was like that for years, so I get I get it. Like it's hard to change. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, just to summarize everything for a listener, uh, I guess one find uh, authoritative, a credible authoritative figure. Second, uh, supportive environment, right? And James mentioned a lot of uh, what the supportive environment would look like and also what an authoritative figure should be like, right? And last but not least, you know, if you're drinking uh, uh, the non-sugar-free version of soda, switch right now. Uh, I think those are the three uh, big, big, big takeaway points. And, Unless you're bulking, then yeah. yeah. Uh, go for it. <laughs> yeah. So those are the three big takeaway points I think someone can, can do. And I uh, really appreciate you james for being here and to all listeners that have uh, been listening and made it all the way to the end thank you so much for listening uh if you're on youtube uh, i think they say smash the like button uh, that's what all the influencers <laughs> say right on spotify yep, share subscribe it, right? yep. subscribe you know subscribe. Leave, leave us, leave us yep. a comment uh, five stars thumbs up whatever you know and <laughs> thank, thank you all and uh, uh till the next episode